You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Well, everything was good just about like uh, nine hours ago as we recorded this episode of Orange and Blue Blood, Odyssey, WFA, and Original. I am DJ Stewart, Tommy Beer on the podcast as well. Plenty to talk about on this show. Knicks wrapped their road trip with what felt like a feel-good win when it happened on Tuesday night over the Portland Trail Blazers. But then some interesting comments from Mitchell Robinson on Snapchat all places um uh expressing some frustration with his role in the team so um and somewhat hijacking a little bit at least this uh conversation that's happening on wednesday about this win knicks did get a really great win over the trailblazers the game that they were down by a bunch and came back and ended up throttling them in the second half so we'll break down that game we'll talk about what mitch had to say on snapchat about his frustration and of course we're in march madness season so uh we'll take a little bit of a of a, of a kind of a uh, off road path to the end of this episode and we'll talk a little bit about what's happening with the ncaa tournament you know it starts this week we had the first four games starting on tuesday and the, the old big shebang starts on thursday so we'll give you guys some players to watch some teams to watch i know a lot of nba fans it's the first time they'll be uh tuning in to college basketball a lot of nick fans will be first time they'll be tuning into college basketball so we're gonna give you guys a look at what you should be looking out for and some players that maybe you should be looking out for for next year's nba draft so we'll talk about that uh, aspect of March Madness, and we're going to do a special this week in this Knicks history. It's not necessarily going to be this week in Knicks history because we're going to kind of take uh, the whole month of March and the whole March Madness tournament and kind of reminisce about some of the great Knicks moments from the NCAA tournament. Guys who ended up being future Knicks who won championships, went on big runs. Some guys experienced some great heartbreak in the NCAA tournament. So uh, when you go through the history of the Knicks and you look at some of their players, they have had an impact on college basketball so we'll talk about that all good stuff besides the Mitch stuff to have to talk about on today's pod uh tommy what's up man how you feeling feeling good feeling good on this uh morning uh on the eve of march madness um and the knicks back on track um two game winning streak uh 10 and 13 since the arrival of josh hart bench playing at an incredibly high level um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it just, and, and kind of what I, what i led with, uh, in, in the newsletter this morning was, um, when a team is, you know, greater than the, this, this, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, you know, that old cliche, um, some special things can happen. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing, uh, with this Knicks team. It uh, wasn't Randall Brunson sideline. Barrett had a decent game, not great. Um, Knicks off to a slow start and the bench comes in. 
uh, led by McBride and, and, uh, and of course, Josh Hart and, and really turned things around um, and, and got the Knicks an important victory, a game they probably um, would have lost and certainly would almost certainly would have lost in years past, you know, maybe let go of the rope um, final yeah. game of a four game West Coast road swing. Um, this team dug in, fought hard, a gritty, gutty win um, and uh, a lot for Knicks fans to be excited about. Yeah, between all the bricks they were shooting in that first quarter and the lack of defensive intensity, it definitely looked like it was going to be a long night in Portland. But it turned out just not for the Knicks. It was a long night in Portland, but it wasn't for the Knicks. It was a long night for the home team, uh, the Trailblazers, and one Cam Reddish, who was talking quite a lot um, prior to this game. So we'll talk about that as well. So, again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a WFAN Odyssey original. You can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature so you can get these episodes every time we drop. This is our second episode of this week. We drop three episodes a week. Make sure you check us out on YouTube as well. You can find us on the Odyssey Sports Channel, where you can get not just uh, the full episodes on YouTube, but also the, um, the the segments from our episodes are as well as posted on there. So make sure you check us out on YouTube. Make sure you check us out on all your uh, download streamable services. And let's get in it. So the Knicks completed their final trip out west this season with a dominant second half performance and a win over the trailblazers 123 107 the blazers led by as much as 16 points in the first half as the knicks continue to struggle with their outside shot which has been a bit of a story for them for much of the last four or five games but the knicks got a lift from the second unit which helped them get back into the game in the first half and then the knicks just began to pull away in the third quarter scoring 42 points outscoring Portland 42 to 16 in the third quarter, which was just a complete uh, annihilation there. Um, Emmanuel quickly led the Knicks in scoring 26 points, 10 rebounds from quick. You don't usually see him. Uh, he's a good rebound guard, but you don't see him in the double digit numbers when it comes to rebounds. So 10 boards to go along with those 26 points. Julius Randle added 24. RJ Barrett added 22. But the story of this game really was the bench. Deuce McBride had his uh, best game, perhaps as a Nick, a career high 18 points. Um, Josh Hart, a near triple-double, 16 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Isaiah Hartenside had no points, but he had 11 rebounds. Obi Toppin uh, pitched in 11 points. The the New York Knicks bench unit outscored Portland's reserves 45-12. to 12. Again, another dominant aspect of this game was the Knicks and how their bench just it really flipped the game on its head. Uh, for the Trailblazers in this one, you got 38 from Damian Lillard, who – as his Nick fans were questioning whether or not he could still play, not that I think that they were. You learned last night, Damian Lillard definitely could still play. He still got it. He was phenomenal in this one, uh, but didn't get much help outside of that. Anthony Simons had 22. Cam Reddish, who made plenty of headlines, slammed the Knicks this week, saying that the reason why he got benched had nothing to do with basketball and all about politics, posted just two points and netted a minus 27 plus minus in this one. So, um, all good things to talk about when it comes to the Knicks win. Now, after the game, yeah, a lot of Knicks fans, I think, are waking up to something that they didn't expect to see. So uh, Mitchell Robinson, who played in this game, did not finish this game in terms of uh, the, fin- the final unit that ended the game on the court. And that's kind of been a little bit of a recurring theme now that, that it's been hard and time closing the game, not Mitch Robinson. E- either way, Mitch Robinson took to Snapchat, an uh, app that I think most people don't even remember is still active. Uh, to express frustration about his role. He said, tired as F of just being out there for cardio, fam. Like, I want to play basketball to really just uh, wasting, really, to really just wasting my time and energy. And then he later posted disappearing for a while. 
And I guess that was his way of saying he won't be on social media or at least on Snapchat much longer. And then um, he later then tweeted this morning, likes a climb, the views are great. Good night. So I, I don't know really what to make of the Mitchell Rob frustration and the tweets that he had on uh, Twitter. But Mitch, I guess, is saying that he's not happy with the fact that he's not being more involved uh, in the offense. Perhaps he feels like he should be getting uh, more uh, productive minutes. Uh, before we get to the Mitch Rob, so let's focus on the positive here to start. Um, with this bench mod, mod and, and I think they, it's fairly called the bench mob now. You know, I don't like to use that term unless you're really balling out. But this bench unit is becoming a bench mob with how they're performing. How were they able to turn the tide in this game? You know, it's it's it, that's an important point. Like we need to come up with a nickname for this bench, so maybe we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll reach out to Twitter. But they're 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 playing that well right now. Um, I actually dug. I mean, should the- they just be the Hart Foundation? I mean, like the Hart Foundation. I know people think of the tag team of like Bret Hart and Jim Nye. Right. Of course, I'm a right. wrestling fan, but like the Hart Foundation later in the '90s, like expands like five or six people. Like you know, like why can't they just be the Hart Foundation? Josh that- Hart and Ira Hart and Sign leads them. Let's just like expand it uh, beyond just the tag team of I Hart and Josh Hart. And just say, hey, the whole bench mob is the, is the heart foundation. They say play with a lot of heart. They played with a lot of heart last night. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. We'll reach yeah. out to the creative folks on Nick's Twitter and, <laughs> and, and see what they have to say. Um, but yeah, you know, I I kind of dug into the numbers this morning. 13 games since Josh Hart's arrival. Nick's 10 and 3 in those contests. New York's bench has posted a league leading net rating of plus 8.4. Only one other team in the NBA, their, their second unit is north of plus 3.7. Um, Knicks have outscored their opponents by 81 points in 228 bench minutes. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the 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 kind of the linchpins of that bench unit, um, obviously Josh Hart since he arrived, and also Isaiah Hartenstein. NBA leaders in plus minus over the last five weeks, uh, over this 13 game stretch, Isaiah Hartenstein plus 146, Josh Hart plus 144, Drew Holiday plus 121. The NBA leaders, not just on their team, not just in the Eastern Conference, not just among starters and or reserves of all NBA players dating back to the trade deadline, Isaiah Hardenstein and Josh Hart have the highest individual plus minus. Um, and obviously that, that speaks to, uh, you know, where, where the, you know, where the Knicks are, uh, how well yeah. the Knicks bench has been playing. Um, and then the guy, and then the best player off the bench, uh, you know, could, obviously could be hard. Um, but you know, the, the, the player enjoying his career game last night was Deuce McBride. Um, somebody we've called for, um, you know, for extended minutes for uh, dating back yeah. to the, the first episodes of this podcast. Odd. Season turned around once the nine-man rotation. Tibbs shifted from the uh, veterans, the, the the Fourniers and um, and and Roses yeah, yeah. and Cam Reddishes, and went to the nine-man rotation of. Uh, it, which included Deuce McBride, um, which surprised some people, but it, there's no surprise. Um, it, it shouldn't be shocking that um, that he was a key contributor, given how well they played. Um, you know, in terms of his individual net rating, it's plus 7.8. Um, that's second on the team uh, behind only Josh Hart. So among players um, that have, uh, you know, been here since the start of the season, um, uh, Deuce is, is number one in terms of uh, per 48 minutes, um, the Knicks outscoring their opponents. Um, and obviously a lot of that has to do with defense. New York allows just 104 points per 100 possessions with McBride on the floor. That's the lowest among all Knicks reserves. And it's, that's one of those things where the metrics match the eye test because you just yeah. watch this kid. And even when his shot isn't falling and his shot has not been falling for the better part of this season, 
plays the passing lanes, plays with intensity, um, you know, sees the floor, does not die on screens, is great help defender, um, gets back in transition. We saw that great block on Simons last night. Yeah. Um, you know, he just does it all, you know, from a defensive standpoint. Um, and and obviously less in addition to that, we had the, uh, him knocking down shots, you know, he, you know, when you knock down four, three pointers, that's kind of unlocks the, the, the final aspect of McBride. Um, and, uh, you know, my personal, my favorite McBride metric, getting back to the start of his rookie season. So since last year, he's played more than 15 minutes, 26 times. The Knicks are 21 and five in those 26 contests. Wow. So that's a winning percentage of almost 81%. And again, that's 15 minutes. That's not human victory cigar. They put him in at the, you know, the last 30 seconds or the last four minutes of a right. blowout. That's, that's, that's playing in the first half and the second half, 15 total minutes. Um, the kid just impacts winning. And those are the type of players um, that establish themselves as rotation players. Um, and, and so we put it in full you know, we saw it manifest itself. Um, you know, when one guy doesn't have a great night, another guy steps up. Um, obviously, Nick fans had to be nervous at the start of the first quarter that just this wasn't going to be a night. And honestly, probably they wouldn't let they wouldn't have blamed if they let go of the rope. Exhausting season, exhausting road trip. Um, you know, guys playing a ton of minutes. No Jalen Brunson. Team comes out flat. And what happens? Josh Hart and McBride and Hartenstein and Obi played well. They refused to let the Knicks lose. Knicks win an important game now at four days off to get rested, to get healthy. Um, and, you know, here they are uh, 71 games into the season, 11 games over 500. Um, I, I didn't think we'd be here. So uh, impressive hmm. to watch. Yeah, really impressive. And talking about the play of Deuce McBride, it, to me, it felt like that game just shifted on that block. Like, you know, Knicks have started to climb back in a little bit or down by eight at that point in the game. But when when you know, it was such a great effort, such a dominant defensive type of play, I just think it kind of told Portland that like, okay, you guys have had your fun. Now like the real game's about to start, and it started with that play. Um, and this was right. He came in the game and immediately was getting deflections, even in that first quarter, down by double digits. So I kind of knew what time he was on, at least defensively, to start the game. And he's usually playing that way defensively anyway, but he was particularly active early while the Knicks were down big. But once that block happened, I said, okay, this is going to be a different game from here on out. And um, it was another game where the rest were letting guys play. It was a, it was a physical, ragged kind of game for a lot of this. I think in some ways uh, it, that helped the Knicks because they weren't playing with much defensive intensity. So when they did pick it up, they didn't get you know buried by all these fouls. You know, they were fouling literally quite a bit. He's great at getting to the line. But uh, the rest of the guys on the court, they let play. Literally getting superstar calls. Nobody else was. So that kind of physical, tough game, I think Deuce McBride kind of really reveled in. And uh, once that play happened, he was he was confident. And the shot is looking really good. Like, it looks to me like he may be figuring it out offensively. Because, as I've said on this show a bunch, like, he goes anywhere else and plays on the basketball court. He typically shoots the ball great. Not even just good. Shoots the ball great. Great in the G League. Great in Summer League. When he played at West Virginia, he was a really good shooter. Like, I evaluated Deuce McBride for the NBA draft. And one of the things... I said was that he's a really good shooter. So like the fact that this has been like the part of his game that has uh, really kept him from being able to be a consistent player is a little surprising because like he's always been a good shooter. So Deuce shooting the ball well now, sometimes I think one thing we kind of forget too about players is it takes some time to adjust to that three-point line. And that could be something happening too with him, like playing in an NBA game, uh, you know, a little more energy being, 
exa- exhausted in these games. Uh, you get you you know a little more tired, and then you go back to that three point line. And, and you know he's, he wasn't getting the results that he's now getting. You know he's now had a couple three four games in a row where he shot the ball really well. So a uh, great game for Deuce McBride. Uh, he definitely deserves a lot of credit. Josh Hart again, just like the effort and the the passing and the rebounding, like it's 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 so daunting. It's so like refreshing to have a team where like rebounding is just like not an issue in, like at all like I, I it's rare that i look at a team in a game and I, i'm concerned about the knicks being able to get beat on the glass like there may be a few games over the last two three months where that's happened but i mean the knicks again just dominated the portland trailblazers on the glass offensively and defensively and and a lot of that has to do with josh hart his effort boxing guys out just flying in there throwing his body uh put his body on the line for plays uh so um, the nine rebounds, eight assists to me almost were bigger than even the 16 points. Um, and he was phenomenal and and, and just an all around great win. Shout out to Emmanuel quickly, too. I mean, he continues to play extremely well. I thought, in some ways, like him kind of getting more aggressive in the second quarter also changed the game, too, because it was clear that Randall didn't have it to start. And Barry actually played okay, but then he got pulled early, um, which normally happens. That's how they do the rotations. So, you know, that first quarter, like, man, really wasn't looking for his shot. And Grimes and, and Randall really weren't – I don't think they were ready to play, quite frankly. So the Knicks got down big. I actually started looking for a shot more in the second quarter. And then in that second half, in that third quarter, he really started to get aggressive. And that's when the Knicks really saw their uh, their great returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think I just part of learning to be a starting point guard in the NBA, he realizes he can't, you know, free flow and, and kind of dictate the offense as much. You know, he's used to coming in with that second unit and kind of looking and, and, and shot hunting. Um, he knows he has to get Randall involved. He knows he, Barrett wants to get some pitches, um, you know, early on, get get Grimes some looks who Grimes, you know, continues to struggle. He needs to knock down some shots. Um, but yeah. yeah, as you mentioned in the third quarter, he was like, yo, I got this, you know, like, let me, let me, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, pull will game. Like, you know, and he, in, in the third quarter, he had 14 points on five field goal attempts. Um, again, you know, as we mentioned, doing a great job getting into the paint, getting the line, um, six points on the free throw line. Um, he's really figuring out, um, using his strength and that bulk that he added this summer, um, to, to kind of draw fouls and, and finish in and around the basket. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, how about the, just the fact that we didn't even really lead the show, um, you know, when, when, you know, had a few paragraphs in before we started talking about quickly and the fact that he had 20, yeah. you know, a team by 26 points, is almost kind of expected, you know, it, it, oh, that's how yeah. well that this guy has played. Um, and, and also just one turnover, um, yeah. not, the last nine games, he's committed a total of nine turnovers in over 300 minutes. Um, you know that's the way to that's the way to Tibbs heart is is taking care of the basketball, um, being active defensively, and IQ brings all those things. And again, uh, you mentioned rebounding, such an important component. Um, you know, you talk to NBA folks, and they'll say like, if you're looking to find out if teams are invested, if teams are playing hard, look to see if they box out, look to see if they rebound. Um, because those that's kind of the dirty work um, that you don't necessarily get credit for. If you box your guy out and allows your teammate to get a rebound, um, it's yeah. really a, a t- 
team concept type thing. If you protect the paint and rebound well, it's a good sign, um, especially on the defensive end, that, that you're pot, you know, that you're committed um, to playing the right way and, and to playing with effort. So um, credit the team, credit to Tibbs for keeping the team ready. Um, and uh, yeah, just all, all those things together, um, a, a whole lot to be excited about. A few more things on this game. Um, one, I have never seen a uh, Nick narrative get obliterated in one night like the Cam Reddish is a future star that the Knicks are missed, have missed out on. Like that storyline happened in that game. I mean, Cam Reddish, two points, minus 27. Uh, this stat line, uh, zero, rebound, uh, zero rebounds. Uh, he did uh, – oh, sorry, one rebound, um, zero assists. He did have two steals, but he was one for six from the field, uh, 0 for three from three. I, I, to me, I feel like now there will always be a segment of fans that will continue with narrative just to continue with narrative. But I feel like for the, I think the vast majority of fans, like that narrative is just like dead at this point. I mean, to have like Deuce and Hart have a game that dominant in a game where Cam Reddish was a a, a, a game worse, minus 27, a game in which he just um, looked lost. I, I don't know how this can even be a thing that we talk about anymore. Well, no, I don't. I don't. Th- I think that's a little bit misleading. I think it's all politics. That's that. That's the reason. He didn't, he didn't, <laughs> nothing. Yes. nothing it, you know, him being him, the Blazers being outscored by twenty-seven points with him on the floor actually had nothing to do with basketball. It was just. Uh, it was because uh, Tim doesn't yeah. like him. Yeah, and, and Leon yeah. Rose is 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 cranky. Um, yeah, no. Listen, I I think. Um, listen, any you know, I I don't want to you know you know, use pejorative terms, but anybody, you know, with some basketball sense realized that the acquisition of Hart and and getting rid of Reddish was such an incredible upgrade uh, for the Knicks, uh, you know, team as a whole. And and just the, you know, the the way, and listen, the proofs in the pudding, um, I mentioned the numbers, how well the Knicks have played. Um, And again, it just kind of goes back to the pod when we talked on Monday um, about guys just embracing their role and, you know, and and, and McBride, when he got benched, he didn't complain or bellyache or talk about BS or this, that, and the third or demand the trade. He, you know, he just, you know, accepted and embraced, you know, his player is more prepared, certainly at this stage of his career, an established winner of veteran. It gives the team a better chance to win. So I'm going to stay ready. Obviously, you don't anticipate Jalen Brunson getting hurt. But when Jalen Brunson got dinged up, um, he did, you know, and, and and stepped up, you know, the whole, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready thing. Um, and that's not and that's the opposite of what we've seen from from Reddish. Again, Reddish is more talented than than Deuce McBride. He's, you know, he's, you know, he's a higher pedigrees. And we want to argue. I think he was the top rated player in his class. Right. Or him and Zion and, and yeah, RJ. Yeah, yeah, he was in top three. Yeah we're right there with each other. Um, and sometimes it's hard for guys to accept that role. So I hope Reddish, you know, he's going to get another chance. He's going to be free agent, whether it's in Portland or, or another situation. Um, hopefully he kind of, uh, you know, it uses this as a, as a growing, uh, you know, as a learning opportunity. Um, but that's some other team's issue right now. Um, the Knicks have to be very happy with the decision they've made and, and kind of the construction of this roster going forward. Yeah, I mean, look, I wish Cam well. Like, I I hope that he figures it out, whether it's in Portland or somewhere else. But it's just this this is it's not it's really nothing to do with him. It's it's this uh, in some ways I think a lot of his supporters like I've actually kind of set him up to fail because they they yeah. prop him up as this like unbelievable guy that once he plays like everybody will see and it's like you know, I know he talked about playing in New York and feeling like he had to make every shot in part because of you know the fact that he could get yanked at any moment from Tibbs. I kind of feel like. 
he plays with Portland or any other team. I'm like, yo, if he plays, he better do something. Cause like the way <laughs> his fans talk about him on the internet, like you think that he's next Tracy McGrady, you know? So um, I think that this is a, a big moment. I think that it, it maybe got to him. That's why he played so poorly. And I'm, I'm looking on Twitter and I'm seeing Blazer fans saying, you know, where's Shaden Sharp? Why is he playing? And I'm like, <laughs> well, he, he's not playing cause you're playing Cam Reddish. So I don't know what you want me to say. All I heard was that this was a guy that had to get minutes, and yes, he goes to another team, and now other young promising players aren't getting minutes because they got to see what they have in Cam Reddish. So um, Knicks win this one, 123-107. Any concern about the Mitchell Robinson comments? Like, you know, we've seen this from him before a lot last season, but it, it, that was almost more understandable because the team was so bad. Like, the Knicks are, have had a really great season. They've had a really great post uh all-star game stretch here and they ended the west coast trip on two straight wins now you have bitch going to snapchat to talk about how he's just getting cardio he's not getting involved i mean uh any concern about about him expressing his concerns there uh not yet um because as you mentioned somebody had somebody had posted a reply at snapchat he said last year um one thing i learned after every game literally running for cardio and playing help defense let's get it lol that was a a snapchat from last year um had he had he included an lol in this i you know like people probably wouldn't be making such a big deal of it um listen should he have first and foremost should the knicks involve him in the offense more absolutely they should um not just to keep him happy um and because he's been a solid contributor especially on the offensive glass on the defensive end um he's been an important part of their success um but because it helps the team win um again you have a you have a a lob threat that can take the top off of defense um gives you more space it it it, it makes guys help defenders more hesitant to leave you know grimes is going to get more open looks iq is going to get more open looks um barrett's going to get more open looks if the if defenders are worried about mitch uh, uh pick and rolling and and then throwing lobs to him at the you know at the at the top of the uh, at the top of the rim so the knicks should in- involve him more offensively that being said so i understand mitch's frustration that being mm-hmm. said completely inexcusable to express your frustration on social media uh it's 2023 this day and age you may think uh, i'm just going to do it in a moment of frustration nobody's going to notice somebody's going to screen cap it somebody's going to post it on twitter and then it's going to go viral or you know whatever yeah. you know so um at least he deleted it. He had the common sense to delete it. I'm sure he's going to get yelled at by his agent. I'm sure <laughs> Tim's and, you know, and then we're going to sit down and say, hey, Mitch, let's stay off social media. Um, again, assuming he comes in on, you know, whenever the next practice, Nick's open practice will be Wednesday, Thursday. I'm not sure when they're going to meet with the media. Um, he'll come out and say, listen, moment of frustration, stupidity. We're 11 games over 500. That's all I care about. I expect him to say that. Even if he doesn't feel that way, you're 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 professional. You have to do what's best for the team. You're on a winning team. You're an important part of that when you're the starting center on the best t- Knicks team in you know uh, in a decade. So handle yourself the right way. Um, you know if you are frustrated and frustrations understandable, go to the coaching staff, talk to Brunson, talk to IQ, and say, hey guys, can I get a few more looks? That's, so that's the, that's kind of where I feel. I'm not overly concerned about it right now. Yeah. Um, assuming he handles it right going forward. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it'd be different as the team was losing. I think also when we think of last season, remember, he was also in a contract year. So part of yep. that also is yep. like, you know, hey, you guys are messing with my money by not giving me any touches. So, mm-hmm. like, now you've gotten paid. The team is winning. Okay, yes, this is a game where you played 21 minutes, had two shots. Uh, I, I can't understand feeling like, how did I get that many uh, minutes in this game? And I didn't get any opportunities to, to score or help the team. So I get that. Just can't create a distraction for your team. Right. That's the biggest thing is – 
the Knicks are playing good basketball. They've been really focused for a lot of the season. There's been, but honestly, the only distractions they had were James Dolan. Like they, they, there's really been no issues with this team regarding like anything off the court or anything. I mean, Randall had his moment in LA, but that was even in a game. It wasn't like a distraction that happened from outside of the game. So like, everybody's been on the same page. Everybody's been moving forward in one direction. So you can't be the one guy that's going in a different direction. Cause then that kind of brings now an element to your team and the distraction to your team that is detrimental. So uh, I think Mitch at this, and that's what kind of the only thing that I think that is, is a little frustrating for me and why I don't want to say I'm concerned, but it is noteworthy to me is that like, I think Mitch knows that like, he's not dumb. Like he knows that this is going to be a distraction. And it's like, I mean, is getting more shots like that important to you? regardless of whether your team is winning. Like, I don't know. So I, I wasn't thrilled with this. I, I kind of hope that Mitch would have put this stuff to bed last season after we saw him kind of do this kind of stuff last season, but him doing this stuff again, just something to keep in mind. Like Again, I think if you're a Knicks front office, like you, you got to know what you're dealing with with all your players and you learn things about your players over the course of these years. And we know that Mitchell Robinson will go to social media if he doesn't get enough shots or whatever. And you have to, Think about that when you're building this team moving forward. I mean, oh, put him on the trade block tomorrow? No. But it's just something to keep in mind. And uh, hopefully he'll be smarter, he'll be wiser, and that we won't have to deal with Mitch Robinson doing this kind of thing, especially after a win. If they lost, yeah. I, I I almost wouldn't mind this stuff. But you, that was one of the best. That, that You know, I know we've racked them up, but that was one of the best wins of the next season, uh, considering they were down 16 points and all the hoopla with Cam Reddish and Josh Hart trade and they have that great second half, like to have, they didn't have to waste oxygen on this, uh, not just for us, but, you know, of course the team. Now, once they get back and, and they, they talk to the media is, is pointless. So um, hopefully. Congratulate yeah. Deuce McBride on his season high. Don't worry yeah. about your field goal attempts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So hopefully Mitch understands a uh, shout out to Mitch, you know, uh, is a very important part of the team and they need him focused if the Knicks want to do big things. So uh, let's switch gears though. College basketball fans the start of the ncaa tournament the first round of the ncaa tournament gets on the way thursday we had the first of the first four games played on tuesday another set we played on wednesday for many nba fans it will be a chance to get a close look at some of the players who will have their name called in june uh, at the nba draft alabama's number one overall seed this year they have uh, the highest rated nba prospect playing in college basketball right now brandon miller there has been a lot of controversy surrounding this team and Brandon Miller because it was re- revealed in court documents that he returned a gun to a teammate that then uh, is alleged to have used the gun in a killing of a 23-year-old mother, Jamia Harris. And how Alabama has handled that situation, some of the um, dismissive commentary from the head coach, NATO, some of the antics from Brandon Miller and I use antics maybe maybe that's not the right word but he had an intro where he did a pat down and it seemed disingenuous or at least uh, um heartless in that in that sense considering there was a, a you know someone killed through a, a gun violence in part due to some of his actions so a lot of controversy surrounding the Alabama team but they are a stacked team and Brandon Miller for the basketball player is the real deal so they're gonna be a lot to handle in this tournament they won the SEC tournament um this past weekend other number one seeds includes Houston, Kansas, and Purdue. Um, on a Knicks for delayed note, for those who may be interested and want to catch these games live, the East Regional will be held at Madison Square Garden. So uh, the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 matches for the East Region will be held at MSG. Um, they, they just recently got back into the rotation of NCAA tournament games. So um, this is the first time 
in a while that they've done this. Uh, they did it maybe about you know, four or five years ago, and that was the first time in like 60 years that their NCAA tournament games in Madison Square Garden. So um, the Big East, the Big East tournament wasn't enough for you. You'll get money more of your Madison Square Garden college basketball fill this week with this uh, with this tournament. Now I know, uh, look, I, I do a lot of NBA draft coverage, a lot of NBA draft stuff, so I've been familiar with a lot of these players. I'm not sure how much Tommy has been tuned in. Um, how are you feeling about this NCAA tournament? Are you excited? Um, are there players you're interested in, in seeing? Like, well, what, what do you, how do you feel coming in? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I, obviously with the rise of the G League Ignite and the Wembayanas and guys playing overseas, you're not, I'm personally not as familiar with a lot of the, you know, outside yeah. of the top tier prospects, um, you know, the, the Brandon Millers, et cetera, that, that, you know, you're going to, the EDs that you're going to see on, you know, take center stage here. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, to getting, keep an eye on them. You know, you mentioned um, just the East at the garden. Um, if Duke advances that far, it's, that's, that could be a home game for the Dukies. Yes. Um, also Kentucky could be playing um, with, with Jacob Toppin, the younger brother of Obi Toppin, some for um, Nick fans to keep an eye on. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm going to lean on you more. Um, yeah. A couple, a couple quick questions before. Yeah. Um, we get into kind of the big picture. Um, UConn, Iona, um, first round matchup. Yeah. Um, UConn was one of the teams I really thought actually uh, on the four seat um, won the chance. One of the teams that I thought had a real chance um, to, to make a deep run here, potentially even win it all. Um, and we should know this year is as as wide open as as any year um, that that we can imagine. There's no um, really clear cut favorite. Um, I personally have UCLA winning it all, so I don't have you know UConn wow. going that that far, obviously. But yeah, UCLA yeah. is my team. I'll get that out of the picture. Um, playing Iona, the 13 seed, first and foremost. Um, as a Johnny's fan, your thoughts on um, Rick Pitino potentially ending up at St. John's, and kind of relatedly, does Iona losing or winning increase the chances of him ending up at St. John's? Ooh, so I I don't. I, I personally don't think that the result will matter. I think now okay. Rick, he's talked a lot about um a lot about this. It's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, as it's rare you see a coach, you know, most coaches say I don't even want to talk about it until, you know, I get to that point. <laughs> but he's just talking about, yeah, I gotta meet with these people, I gotta see the facilities, I gotta I, gotta, yeah. I haven't been to St. John's in 40 years, I gotta go on the campus. I'm like, all right, I mean he's <laughs> Being very he's a open different dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rick Pitino's on. He's yeah, he's definitely a different guy to say the least. So I don't know if a, a result uh, will matter per se. I think that in many ways it's going to come down to flat out the St. John's have the money, and and even yeah. beyond the money for Rick, I think it's also going to be do they have the money um, to really build a correct basketball program? Because that's been the big deal with St. John's. I mean, they play at Carnesecca Arena for the majority of their home games, and. It's just not a college basketball facility that should be held for a power five program. Like it's fine. It's, it's, it's great. Like the high school tournament, the high school Catholic high school leagues, they play their playoffs uh, games there. The championship was uh, just last weekend and it's perfect for that kind of venue. It's just not perfect for a big East tournament team. It doesn't make sense. And um, St. John's is, you know, kind of descent into irrelevancy kind of uh, removed some of their relationship with Madison square garden. They used to play a lot of their games at Madison square garden. Now, it's about maybe four games a year at, at MSG. So it's not quite the same. So I think Rick, he wants to say, hey, are you guys going to, you know, pay me one? But two, are you going to put the money and resources needed to make this thing right? So that means that means playing 10 home games at Madison Square Garden. Uh, and that means building a, a, a real arena on campus because this thing is this, you know, Carnesec Arena. I mean, I've, I've played at the practice facility. 
back when I was a high school player. It's a fairly new facility. It was built right, right around when I was playing, you know, around 2009, 2006. The, the practice facility is nicer than Connecticut Arena. I mean, it's, 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 it's ridiculous what's going on in terms of just the, the, um, just how behind the time St. John's is with that. So I think that it will be more, it'll more come down to that. This is a weird game between Iona and UConn because I, I think UConn is one of the teams that I thought could go really far in this tournament. But then you got Iona, who they have some size. They have some guy like uh, uh, Junior Joseph is, is a pretty good shot blocker. So going up against Sonogo, it won't be maybe as big a mismatch as you'll see against other smaller mid-major teams. Um, they have shooting as well. And the game's being played in Albany. So I, this is going to be a true neutral site. There'll be a lot of UConn fans yeah. there. But I think Iona is going to have a really, really good showing. I mean, they play in the MAC Conference. Um, so there will be plenty of people interested in Iona. So I think that's actually going to be one of the better games in the first round. Um, speaking of Iona as a 13, before we get to the, the heavy hitters, yeah. we know there's going to be a 12-5 upset. Um, probably, yep. uh, you know, a, a 13 seeds can advance. Um, of those seeds, I'll give you 12 and below. Um, is there one team you love to win more than one game? Is there one team you love to at least win that one game? Um, any of those lower seeds you, you think have a chance to make some noise here? Yeah, in my bracket, I have Charleston going to the uh, Sweet 16. Um, okay. Charleston is a team that uh, had a phenomenal regular season. They won 31 games, which was the most games of any team this season. Um, they do have some wins against some notable programs. They beat Virginia Tech uh, at home. They beat Davidson at home. They beat uh, Colorado State at home. That was all in their non-conference. And then, of course, they you know you know ran the table essentially in their uh, in their um, conference play they lost a couple teams in conference play but for the most part dominant team really good offensive team uh they have uh five guys averaging double figures this season so they can score the ball they uh they average 80 points a game so um they play san diego state and i think that's a great matchup for them in that first round because san diego state is a team that likes to play in the half court um in many ways they're very much kind of like virginia west if you think about how uh virginia tony bennett how they play uh that pack line style defense um, like a half court kind of game. That's how San Diego State plays. And those teams scare me in the in the in the tournament because all it takes is for one of these teams to get hot from three and yep. speed you up to now where you're playing a game that is not comfortable. And those teams sometimes can I think be overinflated in terms of their ranking because they're playing in a conference oftentimes that um they're very familiar with their opponents. They know what their opponents want to do. So they know how to play their style of play and impose their will. A lot harder playing is a random team you have very little film on or you've never played before. And in a random city that you've never played in before, and sometimes at noon, like the times are weird. Like those teams scared me. So I think Charleston has a chance to go really far in this tournament. Um, they, they got a lot of scoring, a lot of depth, and they're not your typical 12 seed. They're, they're a team that could be a much higher seed. You mentioned their similarity to Virginia. They'd have to play, assuming Virginia beats Furman. They'd have yeah. to play Virginia second round. You're and you you're okay with that matchup. You think that that's and that's your- why that's part of the reason why I have them advancing. But I think Virginia, may, I, I think Virginia may lose this. I think that Furman also is a team that is a very dangerous, another very good offensive team as well. And Virginia has scuttled a little bit. They've had some injuries, so uh, I think Furman actually may upset Virginia as well. I, I would feel comfortable picking Charleston in either game, but okay. Virginia will have their hands full in that first round matchup as well. All right, let's get to it. Give me your final four from each bracket, and then we'll we'll go from there. All right, so I got Alabama coming out of the South region. Um, if you watch this team, I know that they they're not likable for a lot of, you know, maybe fair reasons, but they are absolutely loaded offensively. 
Uh, Brandon Miller is a killer. Jermon Quinley, who's from this area, played in New Jersey. Um, also really got really seems to be getting back into form. He started, he started, um, he got back in the starting lineup in the SEC tournament. He's a starting point guard, he's a phenomenal guard as well. So, I got Alabama, uh, uh real, real quick, region. yeah, real quick before you move on from Alabama. Um, some talk I've seen people talking about Brandon Miller moving past Scoot Henderson to number yeah. two. Um, is, is, that a, is, that a, is that a reasonable possible? Is that a reasonable possibility in, in your opinion? I think it will be because okay. Brandon Miller is a kind of player that I think a lot of these teams have been looking for. Like right. I, the Kevin Durant model is like the guy that people are like, if I can get that kind of guy, like, you know, like that, that's, that's, you know, you're, you're it's a basketball unicorn, you know, and, and Brandon Miller, he's six foot nine, six ten, a, a great handle for a guy, his size can shoot from anywhere, pull up game, um, great athlete needs to get a little stronger, but the offensive package is so is so enticing. And Scoot, while being a really impressive prospect, not necessarily being impressive regarding like his physical frame, um, he's very strong, but he's only 6'2". So he's not a guy who you're looking at and say, okay, he's going to be able to tower over most point guards. And they're, quite frankly, you know, other point guards who are even bigger than him, Amen Thompson, who's a 6'7 point guard playing for overtime elite. Uh, I, I can see a team or multiple teams looking at, the 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 frame the, the 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 bag that Miller has and saying I can't pass that up for a six two point guard I, I I can see it now would I do it I wouldn't do it right now I have character concerns I, I don't like what yeah. happened with that that gun thing and I think Brandon Miller could be a little bit um I think I think sometimes he get a little bit you know he's young but he could be a little you know shot you know tunnel vision where he's just only looking for his own shot I like to see him you know, play within a team where he's not the number one option. He can just shoot whenever he wants. So uh, I have you no, know, not major concerns, but some concerns with him that I wouldn't take him at two. But, uh, but yes, some people will definitely have him as their second guy. I can't, I couldn't help but think if the John Moran situation might impact Brandon Miller, even, you know, when, when teams start to discuss the, the importance of character and, and, and the, the, the situation with the gun involved. All right, moving on. Um, your other three final four clubs. So my other three, so I got, so it said Alabama in the South, in the East, I have Marquette. A little nervous about this one because I don't like to overrate the uh, conference tournaments. And the Big T, the Big East in this new form has not really done much in the tournament. But I think Marquette's different. One, because they have excellent guard play. Uh, they're, they're starting guard, Kolek, is, uh, I think he averaged about seven assists this season. He's had a, a great season. He had a great Big East tournament. They have shooting. They have size. They're a really good team. So I have Marquette coming out of that East region. And they're very familiar playing at Madison Square Garden. They just had a dominant run through the Big East tournament. So they'll be comfortable there. In the Midwest, uh, I'm going with Texas. Texas, um, also two great guards with Carr and, and Tyrese Hunter. Um, size with uh, Daisu and and and, um, and some of the guys they got there. So I have Texas coming out of that region. And in the West, I got Kansas. So a little bit chalky, a little more chalky than I normally uh, go. But um, but I, I'm going with Kansas now. I will say subject to change. I am one of those people that will change their bracket up until Thursday at 11:50. But for now, I'm going with Kansas because uh, I like the guard play. Uh, Wilson is one of the best college basketball players in the country, and um, and and uh, you talk about NBA draft prospect Grady Dick, a, a guy who definitely could be hurt hearing his name in the lottery. Uh, they got a uh, great shooting with him. So Kansas, a complete team. I have them, and hopefully Bill Self shot him. Hopefully he's doing well. I know he's in the yeah. hospital. Um, yeah. assuming he's able to coach, I think that they'll be, they'll be ready to go. Uh, but they, and they do have the, the accomplished, uh, backup coach in, uh, in Norm Roberts too. So Norm yeah, Roberts, right. They, yeah. They plenty of experience on the bench. Um, I know you're a Gonzaga guy. One, how did you become a Gonzaga fan? First and foremost, yeah. 
give us give us so, the story there. Yeah, so so my Gonzaga fandom is pretty simple. Like I hated UConn, and I know okay. you're saying, "How? Did, what does that have to do with Gonzaga?" So I hated UConn, like because I was a St. John's fan growing up, and I'm still a St. John's fan. But I, I'm also a huge Gonzaga fan, and I hated UConn. And 1999, this is like the the height of the UConn St. John's rivalry. They're they're both playing um, in Big East major games, top ten teams. Uh, you know, St. John's went to the Elite Eight. UConn ended up winning that championship. And Gonzaga went on a their magical run in 99, um, their first run to the Elite Eight and their first kind of arrival to the national scene as a 10 seed. And they beat Florida in the Sweet 16, and they had a matchup against UConn. And just the way they played the ball, the way they moved the ball, um, I thought the name was cool. Like I was just like, these guys are awesome, man. And then also they were a team that was sh- shooting all these threes too. Like, like you know, I know Gonzaga has kind of evolved much more than just a team that shoots threes now but they were shooting on these threes too like they 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 had, they had richie fram and matt santangelo um casey calvert like they were a team they had stretch fives like they played a, a totally different brand of basketball than most other teams in college basketball at that time immediately fell in love with the program and everything that they were about and became pretty much a fan ever since i did not realize that that was going to be the beginning of them becoming a national power like it's not like i guess you could say i jumped on the bandwagon but not not thinking it was going to be this um right. been a fan ever since so I'm hoping uh, I've never seen Gonzaga in person. They've only come out to the garden a couple of times. I'm hoping to see them next time they come out to, to the East coast. Um, of the four final four teams, what's your most confident team that you're going to advance the final four and your least in your least level of confidence in of those four clubs you pick? I think the, the most, I would say, I would say Alabama. I think Alabama and a part of it is because I think they're really, really good. But I also think that Alabama got a really good break with this bracket. Cause again, I, you know, you know, whenever I see a number one seed, the first thing I run to is that four or five seeds. Who are those teams that they could be seeing in Sweet 16? Um, I think that they would watch San Diego State or Virginia. I don't think that those teams would would give them much of a game. So then I say, okay, so they're going to that. And I say, okay, what's the bottom half? Who are the teams there? Um, Baylor, uh, Keontae George has been dealing. He's another guy who could be an NBA, uh, a high NBA draft pick, a top 10 guy. He, he dealt with an ankle injury towards the end of the season. Um, Baylor has experience. But they've had guys in the lineup all season. Uh, they don't necessarily have the same kind of uh, veteran tact that we've seen from them in previous years where you kind of feel like they can kind of just win any game just through guts and guile and just being there. Um, a lot of these guys are, are now, you know, guys who are bench guys who are now the guys for them. So uh, I, I like Baylor. I don't know if I like them enough to, to beat Alabama. Arizona's a really good team. Um, they're the team that I would say, okay, that that would be a really good game. Arizona's one of the most efficient offensive teams in college basketball. Tommy Lloyd was a longtime Gonzaga assistant um, for Tom Mike Marfew. In fact, he was a coach in waiting, and he, he left to just take the Arizona job. Um, Arizona, he's done a tremendous job. Tommy Lloyd, since he got there, we saw what he did with a Ben Matherin last season, made him a, a, a top lottery pick. So that would be a really good game, but I think that you know Arizona's got to get there too. So and Arizona, I think, has a much tougher side of the bracket than the Alabama side. I think that Creighton could be dangerous. I mentioned Baylor. I think either Missouri State or Utah, Missouri or Utah State could be a top second round game for them. So I think Alabama, definitely the most I feel comfortable with. The least, I would say Kansas. Um, because I think Kansas, on the flip side, uh, did not get a good draw. Uh, I think a lot of Kansas fans were upset. I think they thought that they should have been um uh, a two seed in this houston ended up getting that two seed a lot of, they were very upset about they thought they could have even been overall one seed uh before especially before losing to texas but um i mentioned uconn you know they have a tough first round game but uh uconn has all the makers of a team that could win a national championship and they're a four seed in their own bracket 
So that could be a tough regional game. The eight nine matchup. I mean, Arkansas is loaded with talent. Like like uh, Anthony Black, uh, Nick Smith, um, Eric Musselman is an experienced coach who's taking his teams deep in tournament runs. I, I, Kansas, I was very worried about. And then even on the bottom side, I think Gonzaga is being a little underrated. I think TCU is being underrated. I thought a 60 for them was a little uh, harsh considering how good the Big 12 was. And UCLA, I know your pick to win it all. They lost Jalen Clark, but UCLA has a lot of experience. They've been in this tournament situation. They've been to the Final Four. Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hockett, it feels like those guys have been there forever. Yeah. Amari Bailey, another guy who could be an NBA guy, has really uh, come on of late. So if they can overcome the Jalen Clark injury, a big loss considering how great he is defensively. But if they can, um, that's a tough, that's a tough road. Like that, that's the team I'd be most worried about. Yeah, the Clark injury is a major bummer. Um, all right, we got your four. Um, yep. how's the, how's the how's that final weekend gonna play out? So I have Texas winning all the team that I've said nothing about this entire time. But yeah, no, uh Texas they had a, a very um, troublesome. It's been a very weird college basketball season. A lot of off the court stuff happening. So they lost their coach, Chris Beard. He got uh, arrested for a domestic incident at his home involving his wife. Um, it, it sounded very alarming. It sounded like there was a choking incident happening, and and it was all the, the things you don't want to hear. She recanted those statements, saying that they weren't true, and she acted out of uh, you know frustration over something, and and those charges were dropped. So. He never returned. He got fired from Texas. Um, and, and they have a new coach now who the team absolutely loves. And it was great actually hearing them talk about him in the postgame. Uh, and, and there was this hope that they'll they'll retain him as their full-time coach. And he's done a phenomenal job this season. So uh, we combine that with the, the guys they have. And again, I, when I look at the tournament, I look at guard play. I'm like, who are the guys going to have the ball in their hands when the game matters the most? And do I trust them? Um, I, I don't know if there's a guard I'd rather have the ball in his hands than Marcus Carr. Uh, Marcus Carr can shoot. From anywhere he can get into the paint. Um, he's smart, he's physical, he's unselfish. He's one of the best point guards, guards overall. He's kind of a combo, but he's one of the best guards in the country. And then Tyrese Hunter, they have a great combination because then I also want a guard who has irrational confidence, a guy who can feel that he can shoot from anywhere or make any big shot. Hunter is absolutely fearless. One of my favorite high school players from the class of uh, I guess that was 2021. Um, this is not his second year after transfer from Iowa State. He had a big first round game last year playing for Iowa State. The, that combination, along with uh, Jabari Rice, uh, they they got they got everything. Uh, they they were a team that in some ways um, underachieved last year, and they started this season. One of their marquee wins was a dominant blowout performance over Gonzaga, um, kind of letting people realize that Texas was here to stay. They scuttled a little bit after the coaching change, but once they kind of got their legs underneath them, they've been flying high. I think Texas uh, coming out of a really tough conference in the Big 12 will be ready to go, and I think that they'll win it all. Sounds good. I think that's a, a solid... Uh, the other thing is, I have um, Dukies making it to the Final Four. Do you see uh, any... Is that, a, is that a reach? Is that a crazy scenario? No, Duke is playing really well. Like, again, now, now I didn't go there because, like I've said, like, I am very wary of the team that played really great in the, in, in the conference tournament. And people say, oh, those are the last games I saw. So, like, you know, those are the teams that I'm going to go with. So I, I was a little wary of picking Duke. But it had really little to do with that and more to do with how they play on the road. Uh, they are, they were undefeated at home this year. Now they just went through a neutral site tournament where they won every game. So maybe that these concerns are unfounded. But on the road this year, they've struggled quite a bit. So, you know, if they get to New York City, that will feel more like a home game. But these first few games um, – 
they have a tough match with Oral Roberts. Like Oral Roberts is a team that I think that if they were not playing Duke, I would have picked them. Um, but like I think if they can get through the first few games, I think that they'll be in good shape. I actually like their matchup with Purdue a lot. So that's not crazy. I have Duke in my Elite Eight. So I think that they're going to be right there. Uh, I think a Duke Marquette Elite Eight matchup would be awesome. <laughs> I just think uh, there are so many good, good matchups to, to, to watch. Roach versus Kolek uh, at the point guard. I mean, there's a lot. That would be a really awesome game. So um, I, not crazy. Not crazy. A lot of people will have Duke in their final four. Yeah, the big point guard play that I that I saw from them in the tournament, um, they're, 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 you know, that I think that was, you know, what really swung me. Like he 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 seems to be a difference maker for them when, you know, he kind of took over midseason, controlling the basketball, and, um, you know, again, they just have that that pedigree that they're they're no no game's gonna be too big for them uh, in March. Yeah, and and really like like Jeremy Roach, like he like they're a team with a lot of freshmen. That's also a team a thing I, yeah. I also tell people during the tournament to worry about, like. A lot of people want to run to the team with all the names that you hear in the NBA draft. But oftentimes teams that are built just with those guys usually, you know, flop because they're yep. not experienced and they're playing against true. You know, a lot of these teams in college basketball now, especially because of the transfer board, you got 24-year-olds playing college basketball. Yep. But I think what makes Duke different is that they have a guy in Jeremy Roach who's like the old man on the team. He's been on the yep. team for a while. He's played in big tournament games. And we saw how he took over um, some games in the ACC tournament. And you have him as your floor general. Now he's around uh, uh, Kyle Filipowski. He's around uh, Whitehead, um, Proctor. Like, now these guys have a kind of an anchor, you know? Yep. And, and I got to give a lot of credit to uh, John Shire, a guy who I, I, I questioned him getting that job, uh, replacing Coach K. He's done a phenomenal job. So uh, Duke definitely, uh, I expect to see New York in a couple of weeks. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. When you win your tournament, um, send a uh, Venmo to uh, EJ and uh, we should be good. Absolutely. And then before we get out of here, moments in Nick history regarding March Madness. So several Knicks on this team are national champions. Uh, Jalen Brunson helped lead uh, Villanova to uh, a national championship in 2018. That was his second championship with the, the Wildcats. They beat Michigan 79-62. Uh, Josh Hart also won a national championship playing for Villanova. They had the infamous 2016 game winning three from Chris Jenkins over uh, North Carolina. He had 12 points and eight rebounds in that win. So you got two national champions on Nick roster. You got two guys also who made it to the national championship game, but spread, but uh, saw some heartbreak. Julius Randle as a freshman, a lot of people forget this, but as a freshman, he led Kentucky to the national championship game. Um, they were eight seed, which was uh, not usually what you're used to seeing Kentucky, but they went all the way to the national championship in 2014. Lost to another future Nick in Kemba Walker and the Utah Huskies there. Um, Derek Rose also uh, led his team to the National Championship game. Memphis was a, a dominant team that season. But, of course, the uh, famous Mario Chalmers shot and the infamous Derek Rose free throw miss and the lack of fouling on that last play um, led to uh, Kansas sending that game to overtime and uh, Memphis losing that National Championship game. Other notable Knicks to win national titles. I, I don't know if this is the entire list, but I got uh, as many as I could. Carmelo Anthony, of course, in 2003 with Syracuse. Patrick Ewing with Georgetown. Henry Bibby, one of the only guys to have an NCAA and NBA championship. Raymond Felton, Corey Brewer, and Jerry Lucas, another guy with an NBA uh, and NCAA championship. And by the way, we mentioned coaches. We talked about Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino and Larry Brown, both former Nick coaches, also national championship college basketball coaches. Of those memories, any quickly favorite memories uh, from March Madness, from uh, future Knicks or former Knicks, or however you look at it? Um, not necessarily Nick-related. I'll just mention um, that one of my first game watching game memories was um, 
my dad waking me up um, at like midnight one night. I must have been shoot, seven, eight years old, something like that. Um, my dad went to Archbishop Loy High School. Um, oh, yeah. Was a big Kenny Anderson fan. So when Kenny went to Georgia Tech um, that one season, um, Brian Oliver, Dennis Scott, Lethal Weapon Three. Yeah. Um, we we were invested in that in that club. Um, so I fell asleep. I, you know, they, they I think they were playing like a ten thirty you know game. But he woke me up and we watched like the, the second half. Um, so that's something that um, I've always uh, enjoyed and something I hope to do uh, with my little guy at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. I I I have plenty of memories. Of my dad uh, watching Mark Madden's games is college basketball. We have a family bracket pool every year, and it's a big deal if you win in our family. So. Um, I love Mark Madness. It definitely reminds me of home and reminds me of family when I think about it. Uh, for me, when I think of Mark Madness moments, I, I run to Carmelo Anthony. And yeah. to me, like, you know, you know, Carmelo Anthony, I told you, he was like one of my favorite athletes growing up. And it started at Syracuse. And uh, even though I did not like Syracuse as a St. John's fan, so it was very conflicted. But uh, Melo and his game and, and just seeing like, wow, a freshman like leading his team to a national championship is something that like we really had never seen before. And maybe that sounds like, you know, dumb now. I'd be like, we'd be a freshman leading his team. Like we've seen Coffee Towns and some of these other super super freshman teams go far. You know, Jaleel Okafor and and and, uh, and Tyus Jones, but that was just like not done. Like seeing a, a freshman player at a time where so many guys also were going to the NBA. Like Carmelo's a guy that could have went to the NBA right out of high school. He decided yeah. to go to Syracuse, and now he's playing in a in a in a college basketball that was much different than now. You didn't have a lot of one and done guys. It was just the high school guys going to the NBA. And anybody else that's playing college basketball were guys that were there for three, four years. So to see a freshman go to Syracuse, play in the Big East, take his team all the way to national championship, win a national championship, playing on a bad back. He's got tape up his back because of how messed up he was. Um, that was a really, really memorable run. I think it. a lot of people who love Carmelo Anthony, they think about that Syracuse run and how it began. And, and for a lot of New York Knicks fans, a lot of Knicks fans are Syracuse fans as well. Um that's the tie that that, that kind of links them and to Carmelo forever. So Carmelo winning that championship in 2003, definitely a, a, a big Nick memory. Of course, Patrick Ewing winning for Georgetown yeah. as well, also a big one. And, and of course, the um, St. John's last run, to, you know, with the Eric Barkley and, yeah. and Dorn and those guys. That was that was a good idea. Because we had oh, season yeah. tickets to, to the Johnnies com, coming up. My dad's actually a professor at St. John's now, so uh, we still have some some ties to St. John's. So, but yeah, that was a that was a great run when they they looked like they had a real chance to to make some significant noise. Yeah, and I, I used to talk about teams I hate. Like I hate UConn. I also hated Ohio State of that era. Yeah, because yeah. uh, for some reason St. John's played Ohio State a lot. And yes. they lost to them in the tournament in the Elite Eight. Yep. And uh, I really thought St. John's was going to win that championship that year. So, like, as a kid at eight years old, nine years old, like, I was devastated. One of the worst one of the worst sports losses as a fan I've ever experienced because of, you know, damn Scooney Penn and, uh, and and Michael Red. Never forget those guys playing for Ohio State during that era. But um, great episode of Orange and Blue Bloods. That will do it, though, for this episode. So thank you guys so much for checking it out. Real quickly, I want to make sure I send out an RIP to um, – uh, Felton Spencer, uh, he passed away. Former Nick, played a long time in the NBA. So a lot of NBA fans are definitely uh, familiar with 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 with, uh, with Felton. Uh, died at a young age. So so RIP to him and, and obviously condolences to his friends and family. But again, that'll do it for now for this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods. Um, Tommy, let people know they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter. Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you guys for checking this out. Uh, make sure you, um, wherever you're listening to your podcast, make sure you hit the auto-download feature so you get to the episodes whenever we drop. 
dropped three times a week, so we'll have one more for you guys this week. Make sure you also check us out on YouTube, uh, Odyssey Sports, where you'll find us on channel there. That's it for now. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.